0: Welcome to the Explore the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation.
1: Welcome to the Explore the Circular Economy podcast, where we discuss how to move away from a linear take-make-waste economy to one that designs out waste and pollution, keeps products and materials in use, and regenerates natural systems. This episode is the fourth in a five-part series focused on the fashion industry, where the Make Fashion Circular team at the Foundation explore how fashion can thrive and not just survive by designing a circular economy for clothes. In this episode, we'll be tackling the question, what materials can make fashion circular? Our guest speakers are Circular Systems Ricardo Garay, Sales CEO, Patrick Lundstrom, and Lenzing's Head of Product Management, Caroline Liddell, who join us to explain the new ways in which materials and processes can tackle the current environmental issues surrounding clothes production. Hosts of this episode are Laura Franco-Henau and Make Fashion Circular research analyst Matteo Magni, whose research focuses on the creation of products specifically looking at their durability, material inputs and recyclability. We join Laura as she introduces the session and the importance of materials for circularity. Well,
0: thank you, Matteo. Um, and actually last week we were here in the studio discussing what are some of the new business models that are disrupting the fashion industry. But today we really want to talk about the materials. So in a circular economy for fashion, uh, what are some of the materials that we will be wearing? What will our clothes uh, be made of? And these are some of the things we want to explore uh, here today. And to help us, we will have uh, three very special guests that we will introduce very soon. But Matteo, we wouldn't be here talking about this if we weren't trying to solve uh, a problem. Um, so before we talk to our speakers, I would like to, to ask you, what are the problems with the materials we use today in our clothes?
2: Yeah, uh, we've been actually looking at that within the fashion team. Um, and uh, the problem with the fashion industry is that today, It's based on a take-make-waste formula. So we take materials out of the earth, and usually we do that, for example, if we think about cotton, with practices that are very harmful and are destroying the environment. We then make products out of them. Maybe these products are beautiful, but we see that uh, loads of substances are discharged into the environment while we do that. And uh, the products that we make are actually then not even used for a long time, actually 73% of them ends up either being burnt or buried. This is the equivalent of one truck full of garments being actually wasted every single second. So that's the problem we're trying to solve today, Laura.
0: And um, so, so what I'm hearing is, well, that we don't... The- first make our clothes or or our our fashion products To We don't make them in order so that they can last for a very long time. Um, We don't have the systems in place so that they can be used again and again and also the processes or the materials that we use might not be safe uh, for our environment. Um, so it's really great to have here with us today uh, three people who are working in material innovation companies and trying to address this. We have Ricardo Garay from Circular Systems, we have Patrick Lundstrom, the CEO of Renewcell, and we have Carol, Caroline Lead, uh, the head of product management textiles at Lensi. Uh, thank you so much to all of you for joining us today. Um, Patrick, if it's okay, we would like to, to start with you. And uh, as we were uh, talking about what we wanted to discuss here today, you mentioned uh, how important this decade will be for the fashion industry, and you actually said it will be the decade of change. Um, could you could you tell us a bit more about what you mean by the decade of change?
3: Well, the decade of change is—I mean—we we, in order to uh, to get to a sustainable world, we need to ensure. Uh, that we are uh, changing our material streams and that uh, the whole society becomes sustainable not only energy and uh, and, and and so forth but also uh, food of course uh, but then over uh, moreover we also need to make sure that the products become circular um, I mean we we can have uh, energy is we're getting somewhere there we're, we're moving in the right direction food we're starting to have better uh, production of foods. But when it comes to production of of, um, products, we still don't have that circular uh, mindset. And with the circular mindset, in my view, it is that we actually use what we once have produced so that you take waste and you put it back in and you make new uh, fibers and new textiles out of it. And with that, we have not only that we, uh, the, the, the number of people that we have on the planet today, uh, is, is, is going to, to, that we need to, to use our clothes longer. We also need to uh, put them into uh, secondhand and use them again, but we also need to recycle them. But that is even more important because we're gonna be approximately going from 3.7 billion people to 5.4 billion people in this decade. So we cannot just keep on pumping up oil or uh, taking out uh, cotton or, or other fibers out of the earth and then use it one time through the value chain and then burn it and discard it. So, uh, you know, from from a more holistic point of view, uh, we need to go to circularity and especially in the fashion industry, I think.
2: Yeah, I loved, uh, Patrick, the point you made about um, all these increasing population that actually needs to enjoy uh, fashion and satisfy their needs of actually wearing something. Um, and we, we believe that this can really be done by uh, moving towards this circular economy, um, which we um, envision in three ambitions. Um, clothing should be used more, should be made to be made again, and made from safe and recycled or renewable inputs. Um, so I'm very curious to know at Renewcell, what are you doing? What products are you making that contributes towards this vision?
3: What we do is we, we take cotton-rich clothes, uh, like cotton, for example. We take your old jeans, my old jeans, shirts, uh, etc. We take that into our process and we make a, a new dissolving pulp out of it. And that dissolving pulp is made out of 100% recycled clothes. And then we're selling that to uh, the viscose uh, fiber producer or or lyocell fiber producers, and they can make new clothes out of it. So We cre- create a closed loop, but we can take it back into our process and recycle it over and over again. So, it is a closed loop system that we are uh, that we're building. Although we're very small, and and to your point, um, these additional people coming into to the to society or to to middle class grown from from. Poverty coming into middle class its a fantastic number, 1.7 billion people. That's one India plus one United States. Uh, They also want to clothe themselves like you and me. And uh, we have an obligation, I think, to all of society that they should be able to have several pair of jeans and several pair of t-shirts the same way as we do. And uh, sometimes we talk about expression and and how we talk about, you know, and, and how we communicate as mankind. We need to communicate. We, we communicate with words. Uh, we communicate with body language. But we also communicate with the way we dress. If you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're at the golf course, on the sailboat, uh, even what what uh, f- your favorite band is, we communicate a lot. So our vision is also that we need to. Con- if we're going to do this change in this decade, we also need to create systems and, and, and ways for people to be able to continue expressing themselves. Otherwise, we're going to have some die-hard 1% that is actually uh, adopting to a new type of communication style. But our vision is that everybody should be able to continue communicating with the way they dress, but in a sustainable way. So... Um, that's what we are aspiring to at RenewCell, creating that circularity in, in in textile and fashion industry.
2: That's actually very aligned with the narrative we've been using across the whole fashion show, isn't it? Uh, fashion should thrive, not just survive. Now it's challenged by the COVID pandemic. We believe that it can still, despite all these challenges, thrive in the future by transitioning towards this model. Um, I uh, wanted to just show the audience uh, the fact that you uh, were very kind, sending us um, a dress made out of your material that you just mentioned. Um, we've got this, um, this circulose dress, uh, which is actually from, from H&M. Uh, thanks, Patrick, for sending us uh, this over, so we can ac- really show what it means to, to recycle old materials into, into new ones. Um, the label says this is made out of old jeans. Um, is it truly like that? And um, where do you actually get these jeans from, Patrick?
3: We buy them from, uh, from sorters. Uh, So companies like Bank & Vogue, for example, uh, you know, so we buy them in bales and, uh, and uh, we take them into our process and we shred them and then we make kind of a fluff out of it. And then we separate the fibers and, and and bleach the fibers. Uh, So it's a, It is an industry already to to buy uh, garments and and, and clothes out there. It's existing already. However, I think it could become a a lot more effective and uh, that we should uh, collect garments in a higher extent than we do today. And EU is already moving in that direction, but it's not going to take force until 2025. But uh, we buy it, actually, and we take it into our process uh, to recycle it.
0: And, uh, Patrick, you mentioned that you are uh, quite small, uh, but uh, you've, uh, you've told us uh, a lot about your plans for the future. Could you share this with the audience um, a little bit, like what are your plans to scale in the, in the next five years?
3: Sure. Um, so, uh, during, uh, let's say, 2019, we were working a lot with, on our strategy. And uh, we ended up what we call own force strategy. And uh, for 2020, we've been working on the engineering. And right now we are uh, raising the money to build our next plant. So the next plant will be built in 2021 and starting up 2022. It will be a 60,000 ton uh, plant uh, and it will be operational from uh, 2022 onwards. And we already have offtake agreements on let's say two thirds of that capacity. Um, And of course, that is uh, the short-term goal. Uh, The mid-term goal is to, by 2026, we will have 250,000 metric tons installed and by 2030, more than 360,000 metric tons installed. So although we, but (laughs) the funny thing is that although we are expanding fast and trying to to, to invest as much as we can into this, uh, the industry will grow with those, 1.7 1.7 extra billion extra people coming into the industry with 50 million tons. Just in this decade, we're going to go from 110 million tons of fiber to 160 million tons by 2030. Uh, that's, that's 50 million tons more. And we are just going to build 360 uh, 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 360,000 tons. So it's a very, very small number on that growth. And then of course, you have the underlying volume as well. So we need more companies like ourselves to and, be able to make a, a, an impact in into the fashion industry.
2: Absolutely. Uh, picking up on that, that we need more companies. Uh, I guess this collaboration doesn't really, this project doesn't really involve just you, but rather uh, it's a collaboration. So I was wondering who else is in this collaboration. Uh, if you can share that, perhaps.
3: Sure. Um, you know, in, in collaboration with brands, I can only announce the ones that we have launched with. So we have also launched with Levi's um and uh in the in the uh levi's sub brand uh, well threaded uh it's uh uh levi's themselves they claim that this is the, their most sustainable jeans ever and uh we have also uh, uh we're launching or we have announced that uh best seller is coming out with a collection uh this spring uh, and we have approximately another 100 brands knocking on the door. Um, we're too small to take care of everyone, but we're trying to um, support as many brands as possible. So there's a huge interest, and that's, of course, why, we, why we're why we investing so heavily into this next plant.
0: Thank you, Patrick. Um, I would like now to move uh, a little bit to talk to uh, Ricardo. Um, you, Ricardo, you say in your bio that your work involves bridging the gap between textiles or fibres and agricultural systems. What does this mean?
4: Hmm. Yeah, um, and thank you for that question. I would say, essentially, most of the work that I do is, is I try to, I guess, early on, I identify that there was a huge disconnect between consumers the people that are growing the textiles are the, the original raw fibers, the farmers, and also the end consumers and, and the brands. So there's this huge disconnect and there's uh, this lack of communication. And so trying to form better um, avenues of communication is, is definitely important because then we can start to really collaborate and identify synergies. Um, one one of the things that I get really excited about is the synergy between textiles and food. Um, we're running out of arable land. So the way, any way that we can maximize the total land use and create materials that are going to be have nutritional value as well as be able to uh, be used to clothe ourselves is going to be one way of making sure that we're not doing things like deforestation and encroachment on other ecosystems. So we have to be really mindful of our resources. Um, so that's one, one big aspect of the agri-loop that we focus on at Circular Systems. Um, and uh, yeah that's that's one of the things that excites me most.
0: And well you just you just mentioned AgriLoop, which is uh, what, the, the main thing that we want to to tell us more about today uh, what is this product what what, what, do you, how, what is the process to make it and and what is it?
4: Yeah um, I like to think of the AgriLoop as two different things. There's the agriloop biorefinery and then there's the agriloop biofiber and the two of them um, really represent an opportunity to convert agricultural waste, which unfortunately we've designed a system that creates a lot of agricultural waste. Uh, but fortunately that means that we're also able to scale using that agricultural waste. So we, we convert the raw biomass into a textile grade biofiber. Um, and so that's it that's in its simplest terms, uh, but we do that through what we call a closed loop biorefinery. And um, we're starting with our 1.0 facility and we're constantly adding um, different elements to that to increase the closed loop aspects of the system that we've designed. Um, but it's essentially what's unique about the loop is that we've designed a system that's in harmony with agricultural production. So while we're refining the fiber, and um, we do that through a series of mechanical and cooking so degumming steps where we're essentially using temperature and and pressure and and our biochemicals to refine the fiber we end up with a cottonized biofiber on the other side um, for for all sorts of different textile applications Um, but throughout that process we end up with this wastewater um, which is actually nutrient rich so we're able to extract those nutrients from the wastewater and the co-product of our system is actually what we call a soil amendment or fertilizer, which we can then reapply to our soils. So what we've tried to do and our ambition is to create um, a co-product that is actually going to help heal our soils, draw down carbon in the long term, um, and be able to combat climate change all the while, while trying to bring better nutrition to the global communities that we're working with. Um, and so it's no no easy uh, no small feat. Uh, so fortunately, we've identified a lot of partners um, to support us in that, and we're taking it step by step. There's a long road ahead, um, but we're really proud of uh, the things that we've been able to accomplish thus far.
0: So so Ricardo, basically, um, what I am understanding about Agroloop is that you are mm-hmm. taking low value agricultural waste that would otherwise probably be burned or you know, end up with no use and you're turning that into into a fiber. And not only that, you are also creating co-products or using the byproducts uh, that are created during this process uh, to also like support uh, food production. Um, Is that that correct?
4: That is correct. Yeah, so typically once the food crop um, is harvested, so we we work uh, mainly with things like oilseed hemp, Oil seed flax are where we're starting. That's kind of our ground base. Um, we've also done a lot of trials with things like banana fiber, pineapple fiber, um, sugar cane, uh, cotton stalks, um, all sorts of different wheat straws and rice straws as well. There's a lot of opportunity um, globally, both in the tropics and in temperate climates. Um, and what we've noticed is that unfortunately, because there aren't markets to find, um, it's simply easier for the farmers to either uh, set their fields ablaze. So they just set it on fire. And you can imagine all that uh, climate liability, but also human health liability. Um, and in the tropical regions, um, uh, because these materials are so moisture rich, when they're thrown into a big pile, it goes anaerobic. So it starts producing all of this methane. Um, so you can imagine the climate um, impact from that. Um, So instead, what we're trying to do is work within each region to identify the um, natural resources and also the um, cultural resources within that area um, and create a system that is modular by design um, that really helps to elevate that waste into a whole um, different um, use case and and, uh, many different types of value-added products. Um, We're starting with textile grade fiber because we know fashion has such a huge impact. Um, and it's a really great way to get uh, different global communities excited about um, this idea of regeneration coupled with circular technologies
0: thank you thank you ricardo and i think one one of the of the main things from from our conversation before this session uh, that that kind of like stayed with me was the idea of carbon insetting. I I was not very mm. familiar with this uh, this concept because we hear a lot about carbon offsetting it's it's been on on the news and everywhere for a long time. What what is the difference between these two?
4: Mm. Yeah, I, I would say I've, I I'm no expert, but what what we try to do within our supply chains is um where carbon offsetting, you would identify how much carbon you're producing within your business practices, and you try to purchase uh, carbon credits that um, essentially invest in different regional projects, like planting trees and, and so on, uh, to offset your negative impacts. Whereas carbon insetting is trying to create supply chains that actually, um, by virtue of you doing Working in those supply chains, you're you're actively offsetting your carbon impacts. So uh, one way to do that is through investing in resilient supply chains that focus on regenerative agriculture. Um, That can be a whole number of different things in in the food industry. We can look at regenerative grazing. Um, Within cooperation between food and, and textile production, it can be things like agroforestry, agroecology concepts. So um, looking at growing coffee um, and rubber and cacao all within the same kind of um, diverse, biodiverse um, system. And so by looking at um, agricultural opportunities around the globe and investing into those supply chains, we're actually going to be able to draw down carbon longer. We're going to rebuild our soils. We're going to see this harmony between better, more nutritious food and also better fibers. So we're gonna eliminate waste um, and we're going to be able to make our, our supply chains more resilient in a time where climate is changing. Um, so that's what we're attempting to do um, by working regionally and by working in this distributed way. Um, we really envision a world where um, our agri loop facilities um, are, we call them mini mills um, and, and they're really supposed to only um, service within a 150 kilometer radius. Um, so really utilizing those materials. Um, and so by doing that, we're going to be reducing our carbon um, impacts from, from a logistical standpoint, but we're also going to be able to redistribute the nutrients from our system back into those soils. So we're trying to embed those positive impacts directly into the supply chains that we're working in.
2: This is this is great to hear, Ricardo, um, especially given th- the pressure we're putting on natural res- resources, how much you can get uh, food fiber out of the same product at the same time by uh, storing carbon in the soil. Um, that's what the circular economy is about. Um, I've got actually a question to ask you from uh, from the audience. Michelle is asking, how can we uh, scale this up? Um, right now, there is no uh, product yet on the market with a... Um, made with AgroLoop, right? I was wondering what your plans are for the future.
4: Yeah, um, we don't have any products currently on the market, but they're about to be um, released in, in 2021, which we're so excited about. Fortunately, we have a lot of really strong brand partners that understand uh, that regenerative impacts take some time, um, and it's going to take a lot of partners to get there. Um, our intention to scale is really this distributed manufacturing um, concept. So. Um, Because we know that we're in a race against climate um, and because we also want to look at the redistribution of wealth as one of our main targets, uh, we plan to partner regionally, uh, form joint ventures uh, with different um, communities around the globe. Um, Oftentimes these will be the farmers themselves, oftentimes the most marginalized communities that we work with. Um, So we want them to be able to retain that ownership and be able to make uh, decisions on how the AgriLeap is going to function in that area. Um, So what we we intend to do is to license the technology globally. Uh, We're designing it modular from the outset so that we can uh, process a wide variety of different types of agricultural waste um, many of the ones I mentioned before, and and there's opportunities with others, as well as uh, once we start looking at the packaging and energy and uh, animal feed as well, um, we really intend to valorize the full plant material, um, the same way that uh, nature um, does as well. So it's a form of biomimicry in that sense, um, and so that's our intention for scaling, is to make sure that we're redistributing wealth. We're using the regional resources wisely, and we're creating the products for those communities that makes sense in that given context in that in that time period. So, um, it's uh, it's a bit of an ambitious plan, but but that's why we need uh, really strong partnerships.
2: Of course, we need ambition and partnerships to scale this up. Um, thanks, Ricardo. Um, we just explored with uh, you and Patrick how. Um, with recycled and renewable uh, and renewable materials that can even turn regenerative, um, we, can, we can actually take materials in a way that does not uh, impact on the earth. Uh, but then we also need to make sure in a circular economy that such materials are processed in a way that is safe. Uh, well, uh, we've got Kar- Caroline from Lansing as well, um, whose company has been doing this for quite a long time already. So, um, Caroline, uh, hi. Um, can I ask you, what, um, what is your um, company uh, contributing to um, when we speak about safe materials and safe production?
5: Um, thank you very much for the question. So, I would say when we talk about safe materials and safe production, um, you really need to look at how are you processing um, the materials and uh, what kind of chemicals you use. So for us lensing, for um, quite a long time we already produce a fiber um which is called tensile cell and uh, the real uh, environmental benefits of uh using the Lyocell technology, is that you can use the chemicals and the solvents to produce the fiber in a closed loop system. So the chemicals for um, dissolving the wood pulp, they are reused and we've got the um, uh, rate of 99.7.8% of um, reuse of our um, solvent. So this really makes it a closed loop system, which is part of our circular economy. And it also helps to decrease effects of hazardous chemicals as well as of emissions to the air, but also to water.
2: Thanks uh, for this, Carolina. Um, just because uh, you say that lyocell cell um, could be the future, could potentially replace conventional cotton in terms of applications, um, I was just willing to make a bit clearer what lyocell is and how that is obtained, because that perhaps is sometimes not super clear. You've used the metaphor of the sugar in the tea? Yeah. <laughs> Could you please use, um, maybe that's helpful to explain it better.
5: Yes. So, um, basically, Lyocell is a so-called wood-based fiber, a cellulosic fiber. And what we do is we use um, pulp, so wood pulp. Um, and we dissolve it in a chemical and then we spin a fiber out of it. And uh, you can uh, think of it as uh, not a chemical process, but rather a physical process. And the analogy is a little bit like, um, think about when you dissolve. So you put sugar into your hot tea um, and then it's dissolved. So um, it uh, tastes sweet. But if you would um, take off the water um through steam, so, and then you would create back the sugar within um, your bowl. So it really, um, there's no change in the structure. There's no change um, within the chemical properties of the pulp. And this really um, makes it easy um, also in the reuse. And uh, as mentioned, as it's not a chemical process, you also don't get any changes or byproducts or waste um, materials out of the process.
2: Thanks for that, Carolina. That that really helps um yeah figure how this process how, how this process works. Um you've said also water consumption is uh, much um more beneficial than for cotton, right?
5: Yes, exactly. So I um this is uh, a very important topic, I think, for the overall fashion industry as well. Um, how much water do we use, especially in water scarce areas uh, where a lot of textile production and cotton protection is taking place? So when we look at lyocell um, production based on the forest that we use, but also other raw materials we use for our lyocell um, processing, um, we need um, about... 20 times less water than conventional cotton. Um, and on the one hand, this is based on the fact that the forests or other raw materials we use for the production, they don't need irrigation, but also within our process, um, we reuse the water. Um, and this really means that we save uh, a lot of resources for our planet.
0: And, um you, we we know that lensing is a is a big organization and and we know how 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 much you're working uh, to make sure um that that your that the materials that we, you use are are used in a safe way for our environment but we know that you are also working hard on how to make sure that they can be recyclable um how do you how do you do this at lensing
5: um yes so on the one hand we at lensing we also look uh, as the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, at uh, two ways of um, the circular economy. On the one hand, the biological circle, and on the other hand, the technological circle. When we look at our fibers themselves, so they come from um, botanic origin, from uh, renewable raw material, and they can also go back to nature, so they're biodegradable and also compostable, which is uh, really for the natural cycle. But we don't believe uh, that's uh, where we ha- can stop. Um, I think it's also what uh, Patrick uh, said before, we really need to make sure that everything we produce can then also be reused or recycled. So on the one hand, we also have a product with recycled content um, in our program as Lyocell. So it's called the uh, Tenso with Refibra technology. There we use um, recycled cotton as part of the raw material to create a Lyocell fiber. Um, but in addition to that, um, lensing is also very strong on the research and development side. Um, so our colleagues in the R&D department they work on this recycling concepts on the one hand for cotton and cotton rich um, materials and uh, textiles that can go back into our production. But on the other hand, they also work on seeing how our own materials, our own lyocell fibers can be used um, to make um, lyocell fibers again. So to really close the loop on our own processes and our own products. Uh, So we we look there more on the patent side as well as Research and Development Incorporate also um, with uh, different uh, partners in the value chain to create products and projects um, within this recyclability.
0: And Caroline we have a we have a question to the od- from the audience that is it's it's uh, and and Patrick as well if 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 you want to jump in as well to add something to this and it's around uh, around customers and the users of our of our clothes um, and I think there are two things I, I would like to to ask you one is well how do we ensure that our customers or users uh, know that the materials that are used in the clothes they buy or rent um, come from from these kind of uh, processes that we have discussed in this session. And the second question from Katya on YouTube is like, how, how can we, and it's very related, how do we educate them um, so that they know? So I think it's in general a, a question around how can our consumers, our, our customers and users be aware of, of all these efforts that are put into these processes.
5: I believe at Lansing, what we've done, especially within the last years, is that we focused very strongly on how can we um, uh, communicate also to consumers. Um, we have branding programs where you can find our tens of branding um, on the garments, on the products, um, and that lead you also to our website for more information. Um, and uh, with uh, this branding, um, the consumers can be sure that our fibers are included um, within the textiles, and uh, this really gives more security. And in addition, we talk also um, a lot about um our processes and uh, our products already on social media um, to educate consumers. And we are also very proud to work with uh, brands and retailers, uh, what we call like co-branding. So there we not only uh, put our logo um, on their products, but we really um, train and educate their staff so that even in the shops, uh, people and uh, on the uh, on the floor, they know about the processes they know about the benefits of the fibers and can really talk and educate then the consumers again. I think that's only part of it so um, but I think it's very important to start these conversations with consumers as well as with these um, branding possibilities um, to give them the opportunity to really see what 's in their product. Ooh.
3: Well, um, I, I think I think we have a very good opportunity here to, to to talk to consumers and so forth. Because if you look at it, um, we want to eat sustainably, right? We want to travel sustainably. We want to have uh, sustainable buildings and and all sorts. Um, and of course, we also want to clothe ourselves sustainably. Uh, if you look at Generation X, Generation Z, and so forth, uh, they are not they're not even they're not. Asking for it, they're demanding that we have uh, circular materials, that we have circular ways of doing things. And um, uh, so I think the branding here is, 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 as Caroline is talking about, it's important and that we need to support that what consumers actually do get is a a circular green product. Um, What I worry about is greenwashing. Um, Both, I mean, if you look at it, um if i may be a little bit hard uh we if you look at the politicians for example they have been talking about sustainability for the last 20 years and done very little about it um we we don't even have collection of of, of garments and clothes in europe just yet or elsewhere in the world so mm-hmm. we, we we there's a lot of talk and greenwashing from from all different kind of directions nothing here we need to as an industry uh, both with the fashion brands, they are really looking for ways of and technologies that are sustainable. Uh, the problem is they they don't exist today. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done in in order to create that circularity that that uh, that we're talking about. Um, the other thing is to uh, to also uh, support the the brands and um, and also consumers that uh, that they really get what they pay for. Uh, that they actually get a material that is sustainable, and that is with tracers. Uh, we need to ensure that there is materials that all the way through the value chain, it has a positive or a at least very minimal uh, impact on the environment. So there's a lot of things that we need to do in order to do that. Uh, however, I think that the movement from consumers today is extremely strong. What can actually, uh, you know, uh, yeah. dampen that and, and kill it is greenwashing. And that I think we, as an industry, need to be very careful with, because if we if, if we start seeing things that are greenwashed, and uh, then, uh, then, then consumers will lose faith in uh, the sustainable materials, and uh, then we're gonna have a problem long-term. And we have seen in some instances that happening in the food industry, that people don't trust the, the, the big food companies. And I think here in the fashion industry, that that, that, that would be great if we could avoid that.
2: I totally agree with that, Patrick. In fact, uh, the way we try to do um, our job here is by trying to align forces of the industry behind this common vision to make sure that we are all um, working towards the same direction. And as well uh, as consumers, we're all able to spot where efforts are really being made uh, and where those are not really um, real. I'd like to... um, Ask one last question. I would love to stay here much longer, but um, we're running short of time. This would be for uh, Ricardo from uh, Dedre um, from YouTube. Uh, he's mentioning that consumerism is a big part of the problem uh, and that is putting increasing pressure on resources. Uh, how do we make sure that these new resources that we uh, get are uh, protected and nothing happens to them as it's been in the past?
4: That's a great question. Um, I would say that there's a couple ways of looking at that question. Um, Of course, we have to be incredibly mindful of resources and we have to um, think about how we mindfully apply those resources to products. So aligning um, a product to a certain uh, garment or to a certain product category and ensuring the longevity of that um, so that um, consumers can really fall in love with that garment and extend the use case. That's one important way. what we're also excited about in this new idea of the circular economy um, and, and interacting with the regenerative e- economy and supporting that ecosystem is that by by um, investing in certain resources, we're actually rebuilding our ecosystems. So we're, we're trying to get past this idea of, of um, finite resources and start thinking about how we can have restorative um, global economies that actually rebuild our ecosystems. So I get really excited about those opportunities because if we can actually create products that are biodegradable and actually can become soil again and, um, and can actually look at these uh, soil fertility cycles and, and, and ensure that we're creating products that, um, that exist in harmony with that, I think that that's one way that we can protect our finite resources and, and start thinking about abundance
1: And there you have it. The current system within which we're producing clothing is putting ever-increasing pressure on natural resources while polluting and degrading the natural environment. Our three guest speakers have helped us explore new ways in which materials and processes can tackle these issues, including turning old clothes into new, making the most out of agriculture, and keeping all chemical substances in a closed loop. Thanks for joining us for this session. We have just one more episode left in our fashion series. So tune in for Designing a Circular Economy for Fashion next. Make sure you subscribe to the Foundation's channels and rate, comment and share this podcast with others.
0: Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Explore the Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe.